um, for one dollar. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Verity. What questions do you have? Kia ora, Bernard. Um, uh, I have a lot of questions in general because whenever we have this discussion, I always feel like I have no idea what's happening. Um, I, I, I thank you for the explainer. I get it. Um, are we, are we as a nation, unusually obsessed with interest rates and this chat? Because I feel as though we spend a lot of time in the media talking about interest rates and discussing this. Are we more interested in this than like Australia or England or you know America? And is that because we all seem to use home ownership as our form of like long-term saving plan? Yeah, uh, I believe the economy we have in New Zealand is more of a housing market with bits tacked on than a real economy. Because for most New Zealand families and anyone who aspires to build a life here, they need to own a home. And to do that, uh, these days, you need a mortgage if you've bought it recently. And for a lot of people, they've worked out that Working for a living is now. Um, very, uh, the best sorry. thing you can do, and they've learnt. They've learnt. They've learnt to do this because of the way that our tax system works, and so that's why so many people are focusing all their energies on owning residential land in their own home and buying more. Very good. Well, I was going to say that basically creates an incredibly unequal society where, like, if you're all investing in houses in order to create, like, long-term savings, how on earth are people who are buying their first house supposed to buy one? But mm. that would probably sum it up in a nutshell. Uh, Liam? Yeah, well, I mean, I, actually, I think a, a good point to make is that for some time now, the main difference between how we tax houses and, house invest- and ownership of investment properties and other assets has uniformly been that we tax them more harshly than other classes of assets. But what I'm really interested in in terms of a question and Bernard's insight is, is that, look, we just had a change to the Reserve Bank's mandate where the Reserve Bank's only supposed to focus on uh, price stability and not consider employment. It's sort of got rid of that dual mandate. And yet, um, you know, with inflation still kind of suddenly high, um, it's kind of it's interesting that the Reserve Bank has held held rates, and um, does that go to show that the the you know the the idea that the bank ever didn't have a reserve uh, sorry a dual, a dual mandate is is ridiculous, or that you know the bank's always going to consider employment um, no matter what the mandate uh, is in law? Yeah, I think that change to um, including an employment mandate. Remember, it was always. Um, ranked below inflation in the Reserve Bank's thinking, that was performative. I don't think it made any difference at all because the Reserve Bank, when they think about monetary policy, are always thinking how much spare capacity is there in the economy. If we think it's at full capacity, i.e. unemployment is right as low as it can possibly go, then we put up interest rates to ensure that we keep um, the economy under control. And I don't think in recent years that having the employment mandate made any difference to the interest rates the Reserve Bank applied and removing it has made no difference either. I think it was purely performative. Okay. Now, keep the questions coming too. Lindsay's question is this. Wallace, can you ask Bernard if the current interest rates have more or less impact on homeowners than the 17-plus percent interest rates that were about in the late 80s? Well, it's interesting. When you look back to the late 1980s, uh, yes, if you had a large mortgage then um, and it went up to you know, 18 19%, and I've spoken to people who were paying in some cases more than 20% for those people who had what's called second mortgages, 
then it was very painful. But when you look across the broad spectrum of homeowners in New Zealand now, they are more indebted, much more indebted than they were back in the late, late 1980s. And as a share of their disposable income, uh, the cost of mortgages is higher now than it was then, certainly for uh, a long period of time. And uh, however, it was never as high as it was in 2007 8 when we had uh, mortgage rates of over 10%. And it's interesting, when you look at the weight of household debt, it hasn't actually risen relative to incomes since around about 2011-12 when the Reserve Bank started to try to um, reduce some of the leverage with the loan-to-value ratio controls. And the the burden of servicing a mortgage is now actually relatively easier than it was in 2007-8. Right. And that's because um, of interest rates still being lower than they were in 2007-8 and because the burden of uh, household debt is still higher now than it was in the late 1980s. Uh, but luckily, because of the LVRs, it hasn't kept rising. Interesting. And that's important because if there had been no LVRs, house prices would be more than double what they are now. And the amount of household debt really would be a problem. To give you an idea of how little stress there is out there, uh, relative to what we saw in t- 2008-9, the number of mortgagee sales is still uh, less than single digits per month, whereas there were hundreds per month in 2008-9. So even though there's a lot of people in a lot of um, stress and they're certainly cutting back, to be in such stress that you have to sell your house um we know any of those levels that we saw in 2007-8. It it really brings back memories. Bernard of uh, I Can Roy always always recall this, going to the supermarket and seeing a huge billboard in 2007 saying um, 0% uh, interest. You could basically buy a house, you know. That was quite extraordinary. Um, Another one here. Now, uh, Maria in Auckland says, can you ask Bernard if keeping interest rates unchanged is related to the slowdown in some areas of the economy? For example, the News Hub announcement to cut jobs. Is that a reflection of this? Yeah, there's a couple of things going on there. Um, Yes, uh, advertising revenues for um, television have been uh, low lately because of the cyclical slowdown in the economy. But there's also some structural things going on there with um, a lot of advertisers moving online or just not advertising at all anymore. And so um, the stress was on. Um, I, I Certainly, you know, these job losses are partly a result of the slowdown in the economy and the expectations of the owners, the foreign owners, that a bounce back that they thought was going to happen this year hasn't happened. But there there are other issues there, I think, around the um, structure of the advertising market and particularly the way that online advertising, the likes of Google and Facebook, uh, have hoovered up that uh, that money and it's not going to... Um, the people who are producing news, it's going to the social media and search networks. Very nice. And just very briefly from me before we go, Bernard, uh, the target band is still 1% to 3%. When will we get there? Well, the Reserve Bank is hoping it'll be in the next year or two. Um, currently, underlying inflation, so once you strip out some of the more volatile things like fuel and food, 
uh, it is still over 4%. Mm. And the Reserve Bank um, wants to set down at 2%. And certainly they want to keep things restrictive until they see that. Uh, they are reassured that it's going in the right direction. Um, some people thought it might need to go a lot faster. And that's why they were predicting rate hikes today or one rate hike. But for now, it looks like financial markets uh, have uh, dialed things back and say then see the net next moves in the official cash rate to be a drop later on this year. And we'll see whether that happens. Yeah. It's very good to have you on the program, Bernard. Kia ora. Thank you for your time. Uh, there's independent economist Bernard Hickey, an explainer on the official cash rate. Uh, Verity Johnson and Liam Hare with me this afternoon and to this News Hub, one of the key media companies in New Zealand is to close its newsroom. End of June. It's owned by global entertainment giant Warner Brothers Discovery and it sees an end to 35 years of newsmaking. Staff were told of the closure at an emergency meeting this morning. Three now, its digital platform would be the focus and could run local shows digitally. Mark Jennings, a former News Hub news chief for many years, he said on 9 to noon, I'm really deeply, frankly, shocked by it. Glenn Kinn, the boss of Warner Brothers Australia NZ, told Checkpoint, unfortunately, we couldn't find a way to make it sustainable. First up, Dan Lake, former journalist in the newsroom at News Hub, and he says the memories that he had from inside the building are some of the best in his life. Kia ora, Dan. Hello, how's it going? You were a really big part of that newsroom for quite some time, day day in, day out. How did you react when you first heard this? Uh, yeah, I was. I spent about 16 years of my life there, and they truly were some of the most amazing memories and the friends I made there. Um, lifelong friends, I'm sure, still keep in touch with so many people in that newsroom, even though I've moved over to Sydney now. But um, my reaction, I felt like there was drastic cuts on the way, just the way things were heading with delays of shows and that sort of thing. But the announcement that it was all completely closing, really, um, I was kind of out of breath. It was, I reacted quite strongly to it. I didn't really know um, what to do or... Um, you know, then kind of had to go about um, carrying on my day job. Um, yeah, it was re- it hit really hard, and I'm still kind of um, letting it sink in. You have still so many friends there, and what sort of reaction have you been hearing? Very much the same. Yeah. Where, um, yeah, really, just it's it, um, it says a lot, but it is totally like a family in there. Like when I go overseas, I catch up with people that I've known from that newsroom, people like Lisette Raymer and Lucy Waterhurst and Verity I met through the News Hub newsroom. So um, you are like a family and it does, it almost feels like there's been a loss in the family because it's that glue that kept everyone together for decades. And there are people that have been there since the beginning and just the close bond that everyone has with each other. You know, we were, there are people where I was standing next to when things like the Christchurch massacre happened and the bond that you um, get from standing and working with someone in those types of situations where everything's just so raw, it's Mm -hmm. a really strong bond that really doesn't go away. 
Dan, thanks for being with us uh, on the panel this afternoon. Kia ora. That's Dan Lake there who was in that newsroom for 16 years uh, with us is Dr. Peter Thompson, media lecturer at Victoria uh, University. Dr. Thompson, um, to quote Colin Peacock, a media watch, this is huge. And someone was saying, what other country the size of 5.5 million only has one major TV network news outlet? It's almost like going back to the 80s, Peter. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I, I think this is a, an absolutely shocking decision. It leaves a, a gaping hole in our media ecology, and in particular the, the broadcast news sector. Um, I think it's come about as a really a, a result of what you might describe as a perfect storm where the ad revenues for, for broadcast te- you know, television have, have disappeared. I mean, they were roughly, going back 25 years ago, they had a share of about... Um, 34, 35% of the market, and that's now down to 17. So that's halved, and it's worse in other sectors. But we, we also see new digital services eating away at the audiences, subscription video on demand and other online video. So the audiences are fragmented. You know, we see the cost of digital infrastructures going up, and we happen to know that, that, that news hubs and, and other um, parts of the company have struggled to maintain the level of infrastructure development to maintain on-demand online services. Um, and then to cap it all, of course, being owned by, uh, you know, by, by Warner Brothers Discovery. I mean, that's a huge company. Um, and two years ago, roughly, it, 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 uh, there was a, the merger, of course, between Discovery and Warner Brothers that saw the company carrying debt of up to $50 billion. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, yeah. Just at the same time as the, uh, as, as the advertising market dived. And Fortune magazine in November 2023 described that uh, WBD is facing generational disruption. Uh, and unfortunately, that level of uh, of corporate uh, you know concern about their own you know global level income has has translated into what I consider to be a disregard for the impact on the local economy here. Now, uh, Liam, what's your uh, thoughts on this big news today? Yeah, well, I guess um, the thing is, I, I, my interactions with news have mostly been as a um, occasional panelists for New South Nation, you know, and and I've always loved doing doing the show, and um, and but there was always there's always a sense that they were the scrappy underdog, you know, and so you, you do TVNZ, and it's a state broadcaster, and you know the offices are much bigger, and you know the uh, facilities are a lot nicer, and 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 News Hub's always been, I guess, like the the little brother, right, the fighting little brother, and um, you know, I guess the thing is, is that you know that just couldn't last uh, much longer without that express state uh, implicit state guarantee. And so I guess the question is, is where do we go through from here? Are we going to have to somehow navigate a process whereby we maintain competition in the broadcast news sector uh, by having some sort of implicit guarantee that extends beyond TVNZ? Where do we go from here? Big question. Well, from, from my pers- my perspective, I, 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 d- I don't know. I don't think it's really within the scope of the government's remit to you know, offer a bailout because really you're looking at bailing out a global company. That's where the, you know, the obvious pressures have come from. 
this isn't just a local decision and comments from you know for, for, from the company itself have indicated that this wasn't just a, a local decision this is obviously reflecting you know the, the the structural conditions of the of the global parent company I mean I, I think we're looking at a, at a real problem within the media ecology TVNZ is is left as the only you know broadcast television news uh, provider of any substance. I mean, there are others that make uh, visual news content available, but but the the, the reality is that, that that means there's no substantial competition for TVNZ yeah. news. Yeah, um, indeed. And uh, as Simon Mercep actually said on 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 One News just just before, um, that that's what kept them on their toes. You know, you knew that there was another competitor. You looked over your shoulder and you made sure that that's your news point. was the best as far as you could. Verity. I actually think we need a new model. An, an entire new model for our media system um, and it might need to be a collaborative one um, probably with some kind of public media entity centre but what shape that might take I don't know I just want to bring in Verity and people have also talked about the uh, the loss of diversity, I mean, you're in the media, you mm. write a column, well yeah. read, but that loss of diversity mm. uh, taking such a significant play out of the market, uh, do you have issues there? I think it is sad. Um, it's always sad, like, you know, the lack of competition and the competition is what keeps brands, you know, going and keeps them on their toes and that kind of thing. But I, I'm not I'm not surprised because I don't know anyone my age who actually watches TV, like that mm. TV, like old school TV, like, you know, on an actual TV. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I would watch everything on, you know, like all of the streaming platforms that I have and on my phone and stuff. And I would watch, you know, TV shows, but I watch them all on demand. I don't watch them in real life. Um, so I'm not not surprised. But I think what would be interesting is like, is this money and the absence of a sort of old school in real life competitor, is that going to get channeled into creating new forms of like digital media? For instance, you know, Al Jazeera does a lot of stuff digitally, which doesn't actually get based in studios and stuff are we going to see like facebook google or independent media organizations basically take this broadcast format and turn it into a digital format and lead from that because i would argue that like it's the lack of that digital leadership which has probably contributed a bit towards the lack of yeah or tv3 quick response peter well I, I think where we're moving towards is not just digital first but potentially a digital only model um, one of the one of the, the thoughts that's come through, you know, some of the discourse around this this you know really monumental decision, is that this might actually accelerate a move towards the uh, the discontinuation of digital terrestrial transmission. Mm. Um, now, and that's hugely problematic because a substantial proportion of the older population still rely on uh, on linear broadcast mm. television. So the the problem is that there's there's increasing costs and Cordia, which uh, charges companies for for access to its transmission infrastructure, you know, has been, often been criticised for for you know generating profits out of that in a very difficult market. Um, I mean that's because it's a state-owned enterprise and that's its job. Um, but making making broadcast technology accessible and affordable, you know, to the media in a tight market is really important for a substantial right. proportion of the older population. Nice to have you on uh, the programme, Peter. Uh, big news today. Peter Thompson there on the news.